This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Friday, 10th of November 2017. In today's show, we discuss the court case, BST's meeting tomorrow, and the rest of the season, um, a QA, and there's another bit of small news that's happened today. Can't remember what it was. I'm John Asper, all in the Seasides Podcast, episode 127. If Carlsberg did weeks. Good evening, all you Seasiders fans out there. Welcome back to the Seasiders podcast. Been a while again, but um, we've decided to have a EGP. I'd <laughs> 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 like to wager what that uh, stands for. Extraordinary General Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and we're live. Do you Woo-hoo! not see a 14 days notice? <laughs> <laughs> no, just half an hour. <laughs> anyway... Before we get any hold, two quick introductions. Tim's here. Good what, good after evening, evening. Good he said good morning then. <laughs> Nick's there. I'm shocked. Good evening. Uh, Sam, poke your head over the video just to... Uh, well, I think you're just about to see his hand. Yeah, we've got a live stream going on for the first time. We're going to try our lacks. We're going to be broadcasting the BST meeting tomorrow. But first things first, listeners. This is a first ever, isn't it? This is a first ever. We normally get water. Yeah, takes the club going up for sale for him to give us a beer. Exceptional times call for exceptional <laughs> circumstances. There's one for you, Nick. Thank you. Try and get this by the marks. Well, there's a lot of clonking on the table. One for you, Tim. Thank you. You should have said that last one. This is the German one. <laughs> nice pint of Wainwright. You might like that, Nick. We're going to have to share this with uh, Nick. You're going to have to share yours with uh, Sam. I'm not, not sure about anyway, that. Anyway, shall we all raise a glass to Cheers. the, the to brilliant Valer- news? To Valeri. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows how to say anything in Latvian? Pass. <laughs> you should have, um, you should have uh, told us about that beforehand. We might have been able to get the old Google Translator. <laughs> Nick, that 
That tastes how sweet as on. Oh, it's all spilling out. <laughs> we went to the um, thatched on. Was it ooh, Tuesday? Tuesday. What was the news? Tuesday. And we had the sweetest tasting pint of our lives. But I think this is up there, probably better. On the news today, that Blackpool FC and its properties, I think it's lock, stock, and fucking lot, <laughs> is up for sale. Yeah, amazing news. Um, didn't think we could have topped what happened earlier in the week. Um, I mean, when I first heard it, I got a couple of texts and I was like, fantastic. Um, and then I did just start to wonder, right, is there an angle to it? Like there the quite often is. Um, hopefully that won't be the case, but I suppose we'll find out over the uh, the coming weeks. I've put that as a, a point for discussion. Is it all a ruse? <laughs> you, you, with, with, with the situation we're dealing with, you you have to be cynical, don't you? Yeah, so I think we'll only have half a beer each. Actually, I'll uh, put the tops back on, save it, you know, for next next piece of big news. But yeah, so obviously there was a, there was a hell of a lot of it's been it's been a monumental week in the history of Blackpool FC this week. Uh, two absolutely seismic events have happened. Um, the first one was the court judgment on Monday in the Rolls Building in London, and uh, Tim, I believe you were there. I was. It's one of those. Um, it's one of those days that will stick in your mind forever. Uh, you know, obviously, twenty second of May, two thousand ten, resonates with everybody. And uh, it's one of those. It was almost like one of those perfect days. Um, beautiful uh, sunshine, not a cloud in the sky in London. Very cold. I managed to drag myself out of bed at six thirty, and uh, ran around Stanley Park and the Serpentine as you do. And then uh, we all met up, had a bit of breakfast, did a bit of culture uh, down uh, at the uh, old British Museum and then headed to the Knights Templar, which is the local pub. And uh, it's fair to say it had like that atmosphere that you get, uh, like we got at Wembley. Was it like an away day? It, it, was a fan- it was like a fantastic away day, never mind, never away day. There was like this, you had, you had this butterfly in your stomach that you, you don't often get. Uh, most, certainly most of us didn't have for quite a while um, even though I think we're all fairly confident the result we weren't confident about what the implications of the result might be uh, I, met, I, I spoke to Casper's Varpins just before we went in not Casper's Kaspers Gorks not Casper's Gorks <laughs> no but I spoke to Casper's before we went in and he had those same nerves because he didn't actually know the result uh, I think a few of the Latvians did but of course they've got to keep it fairly under wraps because it's embargoed and even he as one as a director didn't know the result before he walked into the court and uh, it, it was um, it was like one of those ones where everybody wanted to get there that little bit earlier to make sure they got in because there was no guarantees that it was going to happen that we were all going to get in uh, and we had this there's a row of 40 seats along the back which we sort of accommodated fairly quickly but we ended up having to pull those forward so that basically a line of Blackpool fans could stand behind us and um, uh, it, it was uh, the, the the buzz beforehand and 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 the silent buzz while it was going on was it's very very difficult to describe. So was was Valeri there? Oh well, he was there, obviously. Yeah, Valeri. Did, you, did anyone get to speak to him beforehand? Uh, when he, he walked into the courtroom to a standing ovation from Blackpool fans, uh, the court. Bear in mind, of course, the judge is like the last person to enter the court. So I was looking over towards the the Oyston uh, Steinfeld and to Eric Shannon, who were there representing uh, the Oystons, and they were like tutting and shaking their heads at this show of emotion. But uh, at the end of the day, you know that's what it means to everybody, you know. And 
you know, there's been all sorts of speculations to Valeri's intentions and Valeri's motives. But if he, for me, if he brings about regime change, whether he's ultimately involved or not, that's what's important. That's good enough us. for me. That's good enough for me as well. Yeah, exactly. So um, <clears throat> we'd um, he comes into this round, this rousing ovation, lots of shaking of hands and patting on backs. This uh, was before the judge this came. This is before the judge came. Is in. this allowed? Is this sort of behaviour allowed in court? Or uh, it... it's probably not what you would normally expect to <laughs> see in court. Uh, I mean, obviously the court's not technically in session. You're not allowed to take photographs in there. Strictly speaking, you're not allowed to text or. Or well, whatever. You don't normally end up with fifty odd football fans in court, do you? Unless they're on a charge for something. You know, it, it's <laughs> it's not really. Bar- it was born at the last time. Yeah, it? It's not a normal thing, is it? You know, for no. for a court to deal with. It's not. It's well. not a normal thing. You know, and people don't realise this. It's not a normal thing for the judge. It's not a normal thing for Valeri's representatives. It's not a normal thing for. Obviously, the Oysters' representatives, it is a rather unique scenario. Or for Clifford Chance, I would imagine. That's what I meant, with Clifford Chance. Yeah. And, and when we were speaking to them both before, uh, this going back to Manchester, when we spoke to them in Manchester, when we spoke to them in London, um, you know, they 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 were clearly, and, and Andrew Green, the QC, all of them were thriving off it. It's like it's like if, if you... If, I, I compared Andrew Green's performance uh, during uh, June um, to like seeing a a great actor on the stage and he was playing to his audience right. the number of times he turned around and did the affected roll of his eyes as <laughs> as Owen enters into one of his monologues and um and uh, it, it, when um I suppose uh, it's like playing to, as a footballer to an atmosphere it's like normally it's like quite an empty ground for them isn't it but it's like playing in front of a packed yeah, yeah, stadium yeah. for it's, them it yeah. it's yeah. like a Wembley showdown for them <laughs> Did you see the um the Per Donkey comic illustrator? Did you see the the framed photos that they've been sent to him of the the smackdown with the wrestling? <laughs> hilarious. Well, uh, obviously the um the Tangerine Knights presented that to Andrew Green at they the were, see the picture of them they were buzzing holding them. He loved it. Honestly, he loved it. He, uh, it's, it's you know these guys. It's it's as a lawyer myself. Quite often the job is quite dry. Um, you're dealing. You're dealing with with very technical arguments. You're dealing with clients who, it's all about money. It's all about the result. Um, and all of a sudden, you've got this additional layer in there of of people who are extremely passionate about the outcome and who are willing you on. And um, and I think they they all enjoyed the experience. It's not the your run of the mill case by any stretch of the imagination. Forget for one minute about the football, but you know the personalities you're dealing with on the other side of the table, um, created for a rather unique experience. And you know, particularly uh, Andrew Green's cross examination of uh, Owen Oyston, um, you know, it, it it was it was like watching, you know, it was like watching pure theatre. Nick, can you come in on this? What's yeah, your thoughts well, on the uh, the day and? What well, happened? I was at work, and I think we were talking about this in the thatched, yeah. and you know, I was saying. It'd been so long not going to a game, really, and and you know, as a football fan, normally you'd be looking at the back page of the local paper, following the results, all of that. None of that had been happening for a couple of years, so you kind of become detached and and forget that you you care really. And then I'm sat on my phone every two minutes, refreshing it, and it was like I think I said to you, it was like the last couple of minutes at Wembley again against Cardiff, yeah. which I couldn't watch. Uh, you know, I had a dry throat, my stomach was going. It was like you're waiting for this result 
And when it came up, I was shaking. I was nearly in tears. And all these emotions that had probably, you know, been locked away. And like the dam burst. Typical man, isn't it? Locking up all your emotions. Well, because you become detached, don't you? You're interested in off the field more than you are on it. And it it made you realise, you know, you do care. And it, it all came flooding back. And then the number, it was just like, you know, we were talking in in the office at work with all Blackpool fans and the numbers, nobody really knew, but we were talking, will it be, you know, 10 million, maybe 12, perhaps 15 with costs, and that might that might affect some change. And when that number came out, it was just, it just blew everything out of the mm. water. Absolute game changer. And I mean, I don't know what the Oceans were expecting, but I don't know if they were expecting it to be that high. I think, I think they obviously knew, didn't they? That's why they didn't turn up. So well, the, the, inter- the interesting, the delicious irony in all this is that what came out during the course of the judgment was that um, the Oysters had been offered an opportunity to settle just before the start of the trial for £7.5 million plus costs. And uh, we were talking to the Clifford... What, on the day? Uh, on this the is day. in May. Right. So I think the offer was made, because the offer expired on the 24th of May, so it must have been made on the 3rd of May. So we're talking, what, five or six weeks before the start of the trial. And quite often, tactically... As a lawyer, you'll make it. You'll make an offer to settle uh, before the start of the trial to put a to put pressure on the other side. But secondly, it gives you better cost protection. I won't bore you tonight about how it all works. But when you, but when you heard when you heard the discussion about whether it's standard basis or indemnity basis costs, a lot of that turns on offers that have been made. Now, when we're talking to the Clifford Chance guys afterwards, they say they don't think they've ever been involved in a case where they've pitched their offer at a level that they have, and then they've. Uh, basically quadrupled it and more at trial. So what it probably shows is that perhaps even they weren't expecting that type of result or anything close to that type of result. And they were probably thinking, Valeri is in for 10, 15 million pounds somewhere in the region and we'll give ourselves an element of cost protection uh, going forward. I mean, but looking back, I mean, how bad a decision is it from the Oysters' perspective not to have taken that offer to settle? Yeah, I mean, I was, I, I thought someone had mistyped it at first. Mm. I think there's a de- there's a decimal point <laughs> yeah. in the wrong place. Here. Came on Twitter first when I saw it. I yeah. didn't believe it either. I had to see a few coming in and then yeah. validated it on ABFTT. Yeah, like I say, absolute game changer as we've we've seen with what's happened today. So, Tim, you tempered it a bit for me on um on the message board beforehand. So you were like saying a a, a fee in the region of ten to thirteen million. I think Max was saying something along those lines as well. And that's when I said, oh, God. They, well, could well, they could probably get away with that kind of thing, couldn't they? Yeah, you know, well, and not Andrew, force Andrew, Andrew Green, had, um, had in, and which the, the Justice for Fans minutes, if anybody wants to just sort of check through the options, if you go back to the the last minutes, I think it's, it's um, uh, part 16, which is on AVFTT, if you just link it through there, and you'll see that towards the end of those minutes, Andrew Green sets out six scenarios as regards how he yeah, thinks the, the judge can play it. The top one, which is the 50... Which, <clears throat> just to explain, in order for Valeri to have won to this level, he had to satisfy the court that he had the gentleman's agreements at 50%. This was the only way in which he got this figure. And, and Andrew Green pitched that at 29 million. But I think the, the considered view was that what the judge might do is give Valeri 20%, but then 50% of the profits uh, on the basis that they had agreed to run it as if they were 50-50. But what he actually did in practice was, was a lot more subtle and I think very difficult to appeal. 
And what he said was that he was satisfied, not necessarily on the basis of the oral evidence he heard, but on the basis of the documentation surrounding it, that there was clearly an intention that it was that they were to hold it 50-50, um, and that Valerian due course would get his shares, which was when the Oysters had claimed the £10 million worth of losses back either through Blackpool or, or one of their other companies. Um, and that as such, Valeri had a legitimate expectation that he would actually have a 50-50 interest. So what he then says is, look, I don't care whether this agreement's legally enforceable or not, um, because that was the Oyston argument. We might well have agreed it, but it's not enforceable because it's a gentleman's agreement and that's all it is, which I think is an un unattractive argument. And I think the judge saw it as that as well. And what, what, he's, what he's got the ability to do in this type of case is basically write his own rules and that's what he did. He says, I'm going to write my own rules and I'm going to effectively recognise Valeri's legitimate expectation that he's entitled to 50%. And then I'm going to, I'm going to construct a way of compensating him um, through the wide discretion I've got by saying, yes, you've got 20% of the shares, but I'm going to effectively compensate you as if you've got 50%. I think he actually could have, ironically, I think he could have gone further because he, 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 was, he was actually very, very tight as tight as regards that he had to have specific evidence that the money hadn't been used for football-related purposes in order to credit it. And then what he said was, uh, I'm satisfied there's £26 million that's gone out of Blackpool that's got nothing to do with football. And that £26 million I'm going to give to Valeri as well, so he's, so he's on parity with Owen, uh, and then I'm going to give him his money back. He's not going to give him any more, he's going to give him his £4.5 million back that he originally invested, and that's how you get the £31.27 million. It's 26 Point seven seven million, and then four and a half million on top, and but he he didn't follow he didn't follow the experts, he didn't follow Andrew Green, he didn't follow what Steinfeld wanted. He basically made his own mind up, and he's. I mean, the, the judgment itself is a remarkable document. If you if you know people out there haven't read it, it's so detailed, it's indexed, paginated, cross referenced against evidence. Um, it, you can see why it took as long as it did to oh, reach. So he's I, produced I was just going to say that I read it this week, and I remember thinking, "Have I, you read the whole thing? Pretty much all <laughs> of it." Yeah, <laughs> it's not an um, easy thing. It takes you about. You I reckon it takes you about six, seven hours to read was, the whole. Yeah, thing. it's it's a good it's a good old read, but it's worth doing because it just paints such a picture, and you can see how he came to the decision he did, and how, and like Tim says, why it took him so long. You know, there was so much to take into account. Did the judge get a standard ovation, by the way? Because he should have done on that result. Judge Marcus Smith, that's his name. Yeah. There'll be a lot of children born uh, this year named called Marcus. Boys, anyway. You can have another. I'll call him um, Marcus. Don't tell Shelley. Called the, well, there's a lot of dogs as well. There's a lot of dogs yeah. who are called Ollie. In yeah. Yours is called Ollie, isn't Mine's it? Mine's called Ollie. The, the, next, the next group will be called Marcus or Andrew <laughs> or Greeny. Clifford. That's a good one for a dog. That's a good one for a dog, actually. But yeah, um, Nick, we went to the thatch, didn't we? And uh, I've not put that piece of audio out because it was crap. The audio didn't come come out very well. But I was um, I was the same as you on the day. Um, I was at work, well, so at work, work from home. But I had um, I had Twitter on one screen, Facebook on the other, uh, ABFTT on the other, and I was like just pacing up and down. I couldn't I couldn't concentrate on anything. You know, I was like running up and downstairs, make a cup of tea, it's like half an hour. Half an hour to go. Everyone was on refresh, wasn't he? And I was, I was just saying to Nick, it was just like a pre-match nerves. It was just like being, being before a, a, a really big game. And when that result came through, it was, 
a game changer. I think it's the best the best way to describe it. So, um, Sam, what was your? Where were you when you heard the news? I think I was uh, heading off out, but obviously, like you said, checking Twitter and make it, making sure you're there from two p.m. I walked the dog uh, just before to make sure I didn't miss it. And when you did see that figure on social media, whether it's on like I said, Twitter or Facebook or a view from a tower, it, it kind of everything that you've come towards in that last few years kind of it was a big relief. Um, I think personally, I think obviously we know what happened, and you do take it. You kind of have a big like, oh, it's actually happened now, hasn't it? And again, a big judgment. Um, didn't expect the 31.2 million. Um, but I think people, like you said, probably were expecting Bellacon to win because of what came out in, in the trial. But um, obviously the news today is huge, isn't it? And hopefully sooner rather than later, Blackpool get the, the club back mm. and the fans can be back cheering on the, the players. But long way to go. I think Blackpool fans have to be patient still. A long way to go. Uh, we'll see how it goes from here. I think, as Sam said, long way to go. Nothing's set in stone, is it? And No, well, you know, like you say, it's up for sale. It doesn't mean that it'll end up with Valeri. Obviously, we'd all like it to because from what we've seen, he, he's passionate about the club. He puts his money where his mouth is. You know, He's he never, underst- he's never de- let us down yet. Has no, he? he understands you've got to speculate to accumulate. Because um, I was saying to Tim before we, we came on air, if it isn't them, you know, there's no guarantee that it, it could be good owners again. I don't think it'll be anywhere near as bad as what we've just had. But you've seen other clubs, they've gone... Sisu. Out of, you know, yeah, uh, Pompey as well. You Charlton. Know, out the frying pan, into the fire. Oh, bet the, the devil you know, actually. Oh, come back. In fact, they're all right now, so he's dead. <laughs> steady on, oh, steady on. I'm devastated by the news that the club's <laughs> up for sale. But, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be Valeri, does it? That's the thing. It, it, you've got the issue of the loans being out there. So there's a bit of a a web to untangle as well. So I don't think it's going to happen overnight, like you say, hopefully sooner rather than later. But I was just going to um, ask Tim, actually. I was going to ask you this anyway, but so I'll ask on the podcast. So the statement says, um, there's, there was a mention of an appeal in there. Because I know the judge said there was no right of appeal. Um, legal counsel for the respondents, this is from the Blackpool website, Blackpool FC website, have... I've been instructed to apply for leave to appeal elements of the judgment with immediate effect. I mean, would you like to speculate as to what that is and w- what this means? Yeah. So could you could you just deconstruct what the judge Marcus Smith said about no appeal yeah. and the, what this kind of appeal is? There's there's a two stage approach, um, and it, and it's changed in recent years actually, um, and I'll explain that change in a moment. So when you want permission to appeal or leave, they, they used to call it leave, so you'll quite often see people refer to leave to appeal, but these days we call it permission. If you want permission to appeal, you can you get two bites of the cherry, essentially. And the first bite of the cherry is with the trial judge. Now, to be honest, that's always viewed as being quite difficult because effectively you're making an application to somebody who's, who's made a decision against you. Mm. But quite, where, where, they, where you get permission to appeal off the trial judge, it will generally be where there's an important point of law that needs clarification from the appeal courts so they'll give you permission in those circumstances but it's not unusual to get refused and in fact if you remember the, um, the Oysters got refused in uh, Manchester and then and then got permission to appeal on two very discreet points uh, which is due to be heard in uh, I think in March next year um, however um, what you then have the ability to do is to apply direct to the court of appeal now, when you apply to direct to the Court of Appeal, you have to lodge your application within 21 days, and um, the, it then goes before uh, an appeal court judge. 
and you have to persuade them on paper. This is just the person who wants to appeal. The uh, Clifford Chance won't have any input at this stage. You have to persuade uh, the Court of Appeal judge that there's actually merit in it. And the whole idea of this is to stop people just appealing because they don't like the decision. Now, this is to be compared and contrasted with criminal um, trials where you actually can appeal as much as you want because then they quite often your liberty is at stake. So, but in civil courts, the, the, the idea is that you, you should only be allowed to appeal if it's meritorious. Now, what they won't generally do is let you appeal against findings of fact. And this is what Marcus Smith was effectively saying. In his, in, in, um, and <clears throat> the only way you see this, to be honest, if you look at the judgment, you won't see it. You've got to go to the Justice for Fans minutes um, where it, they touch upon the base upon which the application was made and, and refused. And what he's effectively saying is, I've made... I've heard 16 days of evidence. I've made a factual decision applying the facts as I heard them from all the various witnesses who came before him. And um, good luck if you think you can persuade the Court of Appeal to, um, to grant you permission. Because and it's important that the listeners remember this. When you go to the Court of Appeal, the evidence doesn't get heard again. Um, there's only two options available to the Appeal Court. They either decide the judge was wrong based on the evidence he heard, and they can only deal with that on the basis of legal submissions. Or, they set, or if they're convinced that the judge got it wrong, they can send it back for a retrial. Now, for public policy reasons, they don't like to do that. So they, if, if a decision is based on fact, facts rather than law, and if the judge has applied himself properly to the law, they will generally refuse. Now, you used to be able to actually, even if you lost that, application you used to be able to renew it with an oral hearing and actually have a you know face to face with a, with a judge and renew your application and they've stopped doing that about 12 months ago again just to cut down unmeritorious appeals so if they don't get their application for permission through um they will they will that that's the end of the road they've got nowhere else to go and interestingly i think the only real ground they've got to appeal is this gentleman's agreement and the gentleman's agreement um, my, uh, if that's if that is unravelled, then I don't think it can be. But if it is, it will reduce the award, but not extinguish it. Because Marcus Smith was at pains, if you read the judgment, to say even if I didn't find that there was a gentleman's agreement, I would still find this to be unfair prejudice. So um, uh, th I, I think even on the Oyston side of the fence, they don't necessarily expect, even if they do appeal to get off scot-free. I think they expect that the best that's going to happen is, it, is that it would reduce the level of the award. So the only thing they could really overturn is the judge's interpretation of the gentleman's agreement where he's he said it should be parity and not 20%. That, 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 that would be my, that would be my that assessment based on what I heard. But the Marcus Smith was very cute because he didn't say the gentleman's agreement's legally enforceable. What he said was that based on that gentleman's agreement, the Valeri had a legitimate expectation that he would be entitled to 50%. And therefore, applying the discretion he had under the Companies Act, he then gave him 50%. Now, that's, that's actually reaching the end result by a different route. And I think it makes it more difficult to appeal. Right. Fingers crossed then. Because there's an amount due, was it in, I saw 10 million banded about, was that correct? Yeah, ten million. Um, there was a, there was a lot of argument about what the level of the payments on account should be because the Oysters wanted twelve months to pay, and you can sort of understand why they would say that because um, there's very few people, even very rich people, who have that type of money lying around in cash. Most of it's tied up in assets, 
And of course, if you if you're forced to undertake a fire sale of those assets to realise the money to pay, then and people know you need to raise that money at very short notice, then then you don't generally get full value for them. So they were arguing, for, uh, for, well, they were arguing two things. First of all, they were arguing that only suggestors should have to pay, uh, or Blackpool FC Properties Limited, it's now reverted to. Um, and then secondly, which they lost, the, 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 the judgment is not just against, and I'd, stress that, I'd also stress it's not against Blackpool Football Club. This judgment is against what was suggester, Owen and Carl, and it's joint in several, which means that they're all responsible for the whole lot and collectively responsible for the whole lot. So if one of them goes bankrupt, if one of them goes into liquidation, the others remain liable for the full amount. It's not like a third each or something like that. So um, the, there was a lot of discussion about payments on account. And, if, and in the end, the judge said, I'm going to give you 10 million. That includes your application for payments on account of costs. And that has to be paid within 28 days. And by Monday of next week, the Oysters have to put a schedule of assets into the court and uh, the how court. Do, how does the appeal affect things, though? So, if that gets lodged, does that then mean the 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 ten million isn't payable until there's the outcome of any appeal, or do they still have to pay? No, that? Normally, uh, an appeal doesn't act as a stay. In fact, they tried to do that with Manchester and were were and lost, and they and they had to pay. I think they paid a million pounds on account in Manchester, and also had to pay a portion of Clifford Chance's costs. So the ten million has to be paid within twenty-eight days. By Monday, they've got to lodge a list of assets, and then the judge is going to grant a freezing order against those assets. Now, what they've got to bear in mind here is that they've got to make a full and frank disclosure because if they don't, we know that Clifford Chance will already be ahead of the game, and they will already know what their assets are. So they'll be looking at that list very, very carefully. And if they think things have been missed off it for any reason, then no doubt they'll be bringing it to the court's attention. I'm sure that the Oysters will realise that and will do a full and frank disclosure. They have to. You know, it's, it will be a contempt of court not. So uh, so when those when those lists come through, the judge has basically said, I'll let you pay £10 million. I'll then list it for another hearing to decide how long you can pay over over which you can pay the balance. But in the meantime, two things you need to bear in mind. One, you're going to have to give security for the balance of the debt um, because, um, you know, you can't expect Valeri not to have that security. And secondly, and there's two levels to this actually, interest is going to run on the outstanding balance. Now, I did a rough and ready calculation because <coughs> 15, million, 15 million of it is going to run at 10.5%. It was 125 10%? 10%. No, it's 10% it's above base rates. Like Wonga rates. <laughs> it's 10% it's above base rate, which was obviously was 10.25, now 10.5. That's backdated to the 24th of May when the offer to settle wasn't accepted because right. they have 21 days to accept it. So 15 million of the judgment runs at that rate. The balance, which is about 16 million, plus the 3 million pound claim for costs, will run at 8%. And that uh, now the com I, I did a rough and ready calculation. I think the interest, the weekly interest on all that is about £58,000, uh, £58, which I actually think is, is possibly more than the revenues coming to the football club on a weekly basis. Just revenues, not profit. Revenues, right. total gross revenues. I think the revenues are about three million, aren't they? But if you take if you take it that the lion's share of that comes in prior to the start of the season through season, season ticket revenue, then I think it's fair to say that that the total gross income from Blackpool Football Club at the moment is being swallowed up by interest on a weekly basis. 
So that it, there's an incentive to get it sorted. That's obviously forced to hand today. Um, should we just move on to the, the news today then, which was obviously the club's been put up for sale. I didn't see this coming. Did anyone else? Three o'clock it came in at? Not this quickly. I thought it, you know something may happen in the end, but but certainly not this quickly. Shall we just go quickly read out the, um, the club statement from Pyongyang? The directors of um, Blackpool Football Club and Blackpool Football Club Properties are now in a position following the conclusion of litigation to market for sale Blackpool Football Club Limited and Blackpool Football Club Properties Limited. Substantial external non-football revenue is a major component of the properties business. This is sales pitch, isn't it? Expressions of interest should be made to an independent nominee appointed by the football club who can be contacted via this email address, blah, blah. Following high court judgment, legal counsel of the response has been instructed to apply to leave for leave to appeal elements of the judgment with immediate effect. In the interim period, as throughout the litigation process, the focus of the football club's board <laughs> remains on supporting the manager and continuing the negative impact of off-field issues. Who wants to come in on that? Without, la- without, <laughs> without laughing. <laughs> I think Jan- January transfer window is going to be interesting. <laughs> I think before it came out that Blackpool, on the official website, that they signed a player, a striker, to end of the season. Oh, so is it Dolly, pa- Dolly or Dolly, Dolly signs or Dolly, Dolly, World? Dolly sings as someone put on a thread. Um, I think that was quite interesting that... <laughs> Read seeing that, and then obviously the message going out about supporting the manager and the players is quite interesting. But I think, obviously, with the Oyster Mill in Preston going on auction, I think it was Wednesday, wasn't it? Uh, not meeting the reserve price, very interesting. And maybe that has had an impact on them coming out of that decision today to put the club up for sale. There was also talk today, uh, there was rumours floating around, which obviously hit the message boards, um, that Windyke had gone up for sale for I 45 million. I read that. No, someone said it's sold for 45 million, well, didn't they? There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Picture the scene. All of your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Uh, I, I, somebody suggested to me that, that there may be a buyer at 45 million. Whether it's true or not, who knows? But it, it's... So when it came out that the football club had gone on the market for sale, whilst, whilst I think it was, there was that surprise and elation set against the background of what what Sam had mentioned, the, the Oyster Mill getting nowhere near its uh, reserve price. Was it four and a half million or and uh, and then uh, and then separately hearing this about Windyke and obviously knowing that there's um ten million to find within twenty eight days and the clock is ticking, knowing about the, all the interest that's accruing, it 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 doesn't it didn't surprise me but I still sat there and you know particularly you know we've all been involved in, in, in the movement, the protest movement for four years or more now. 
And, you know, how many times we had it rammed down our throats that the Oysters will never sell. Well, he said it in early this year, didn't he, around February? It was, it was the Blackburn game, wasn't it, um, in January when he it did was an interview Talk opposite Sport. South the North Pier, I remember it. Mm. And uh, so we've had that rammed down our throats, not just from the Oysters, but also from a lot of people who, who, who don't believe in, in, in the protest movement and I think we're wasting our time. I, I, the number of times people have said to me, you know, you, you, you're banging your head against a brick wall. Well, th- the reality is, and it, you know, we can't, we haven't been able to do it on our own. I saw you can draw a little bit of analogy be- with like the Second World War. You know, we, 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 we're the plucky Brit, we're the cl- pl- cl- plucky Brits who've like, you know, stuck in there. But we've needed somebody else who's got who's got the machinery. I suppose in like Bellicon's like America, isn't it? Well, he? that's what I was going to say. He's it's <laughs> almost States. like the Ameri- <laughs> the Americans are coming and with infinite resources. Yeah. And I re- always remember I posted something on Facebook the day that Valeri sent his letter of claim to the Oysters. I posted something like, and it w- it was a little bit of a, an analogy with that, in that you know we're not alone anymore. Um, and I, we always felt like we're on our own, and, and we always felt like it was a very very difficult task but we'd keep bashing away, keep bashing away because that's what you do. But the day that Valeri joined the fight um, was the day that I thought we had a realistic prospect of winning this. And I I won't profess to suggest that I thought that Valeri would end up with a 31.27 million judgment, but I did think that that was, even going back then, that that was a game changer. And that's not being clever with hindsight. I just actually thought, look, we've actually got somebody with some muscle here you can actually leverage a situation where we might actually get regime change. And thankfully, hopefully, we seem to be moving towards that scenario. The, the interesting thing for me is what, what they're going to want for the club against, you know, their valuation against what somebody might be willing to pay because they're, they're not in a position, really. You know, they're not holding all the cards here, are they? It's a bit like you're going to the, to the pawnbrokers and y- your TV might be worth 500 quid. You ain't getting 500 quid for it off them, are you? So you're the person buying it. You- you're in the box seat, aren't you? Massively. Mm. <laughs> Andy Pelly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. What was that? Copy guy. Um, this, but, do you remember two years ago? What the, I think it was the first one in the AVFTT drink up in the, um, in the Elk in Paulson. I got chatting to Max, uh, Max Proceside. First time I ever met him. Didn't even know who he was. He's a he's a solicitor like you, Tim, I believe. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's, he's a, co- a corporate lawyer down right. in London. Well, St Albans in London. Right. He, I just got chatting to him, and he was saying to me it was not long after it was announced when Bellacom was coming in, joining the fray when the Americans were coming in mm. to to reinforce us, and um, he was like saying to me, John, trust me, in two years they will be gone, and he he was he was ultra confident that. He was that Bellicon was going to get rid of them because of who Clifford Chance were, mm. and he said to use a footballing analogy, um, Clifford Chance. He says they're not even they're not even Man United, they're not Liverpool. He says he says they're the Barcelona of the uh, of the lawyer world, whatever you want to call it. And he said, and he says they'll blow them out of the water unless the Oysters really you know get a similar firm. And he he was like I think he said a figure around thirty million. Sure, I remember him saying that, but he was ultra confident. And after speaking to him, I came away a bit, you know, like chest out. And yeah, I mean, it for me, it was always a case that the 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 prejudice was there. And it was interesting actually in the judgment towards the end. There's actually, um, I think it appears in that uh, 200 minutes. I read that yesterday. Um, well, yeah, you, yeah, I know, you, really, text, you really. text me about it. And there's clearly, there's a passage there yeah. where one of the Oysters' legal advisors, I suspect it's Dempsey, 
is basically warning them this is unfair prejudice and as previously advised. So clearly, even when they, even when certain things were going on, the Oysters had been told that what they were doing was could well amount to unfair prejudicial conduct. And um, and and to be honest, when you when you go down uh, look at the cases, it's almost like a tick box of. And I think I've said this in on previous podcasts. There's almost like a tick box of what's unfair prejudicial conduct. And this case seemed to tick virtually every single box that there was. So I can understand Mex's confidence. And and uh, in in the legal world, Clifford Chance. I've never I've never actually been involved with Clifford Chance. Their reputation always went before them. But having met them, uh, the the irony actually is that a lot of them are quite young people. Um, the top the top guys probably forty, the number two guys thirty, and then a lot of the rest of them in the twenties. And and that's the demographic of who they employ. They go for the the young guns, hungry ones, so young hungry guns, and they put a team on it, and they generally. Uh, they are so the four steps ahead. I always like to think with what BST did when I was chairing and what they do now that we try and stay one, maybe two steps ahead of what's going on, because that's always the mantra that we work to. They're like they're in a different league. They've, they've, they've every single scenario that you think could crop up, they've covered it, they've thought it, they've strategized it. And when you, when you see when you see then what, who they get in QC wise. Who you know he's and ironically apparently he was I was told on uh, Monday he was cheaper than Steinfeld who the Oysters used, and um, you know he's just a different class and the number two is a different class. Uh, the number two is that is actually ex Clifford Chancellor who who left private practice and went to the bar, but these you know these are they get the cream of the cream and they get them for a reason. They pay them well. They've got a great reputation and they offer them great opportunities. They work them hard, generally, a lot of them. When they get to 30, 35, they might move to other firms, but the fact they've worked where they've worked is like the biggest thing you can ever have on your CV, you know. it's That's, So as we said, Nick, in the uh, in the thatched, we need to get them up for a game. Come the revolution, we should get them up the game. They get are them de- up for a game. They're definitely cut. Well, we, we raised it on Monday because we um, on Monday we went in the pub afterwards and actually a load of, load of the guys went to... Um, Knights Templar and I was speaking to the Gazette and Christine was doing something else and we ended up um, we ended up popping in the lo- just in the local pub and then they ended up coming back and joining us and then all the other Blackpool fans came in as well and we had a bit of a party but they were saying first game after you get your club back we're up there and we're coming to the game with you it'll be a, it'll be like a, a ticker tape reception <laughs> oh, you know yeah. like in New York won't it they won't have to put their hand in the pocket will they no. for- Although, having said that, considering how much they're going to get paid by the Oysters, maybe they could buy us a few beers. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be a grudge behind them a beer. Absolutely as as, not. as long as it's in the number one club and it's quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, so um, so the club's up for sale. We've all read the club statement. Um, what happens now? Well, what, what? Th- this is it. It's, you know, there's there's a bit of a, a web to unravel, isn't there, with the loans, and I don't know how that's going to work. And I would say, hopefully, it's Valeri, but even if he ended up with it, you know, depending on what the valuation of the club is, he's still going to be due a lot of money, isn't he? Because, I mean, what would you say it's worth the club at the moment? What did they talk about yeah. in the valuations? I'm trying to remember. 60 million, I think, was the... <laughs> but that's Premier. That was based yeah. on 2000. Yeah, based based on Premier. Yeah. Yeah. But as it is now, if you were buying it, what, what So does it thinking? include the travel lodge, the hotel? Is it lock, stock and Yeah, everything? it does. I mean, I've always said you can strip a lot of that out. Um, if I was... And, and the BST bid effectively did the same thing you you want the football club and you want you want the stadium now the problem with the stadium i say it's a problem 
the, the, the issue with the stadium is it's actually got quite a lot of rent coming in from the NHS and whatever, and that does increase its value. Um, but the, you, what you don't really need, you don't need the travel lodge. Um, you don't need, in my view, Squires Gate, um, because I think it's not fit for purpose. Hang on a minute. You don't need a centre of excellence. <laughs> excellence. <laughs> Maybe we should keep it for posterity. But and you, and you most Just a cer- You most certainly don't need a, uh, a, a wedding venue that doesn't hold weddings in uh, in the Trough of Boland. <laughs> <laughs> or a penthouse overlooking the pitch. Well, with that, unfortunately, that, that's integral. I think we might have to take that as part of the fixtures and fittings. <laughs> we'll get a carpet stain removal company in there. Uh, I mean, there's obviously a hotel in there. I think, I mean, my immediate reaction is... Knock it down, get well, a proper that, stand built. Well, maybe, eventually. I mean, I, I've we've seen with Shrewsbury, actually, how they've managed to build, um, uh, with crowdfunding, mm. uh, a, safe, a, a safe standing section. And I'd love to see that east converted into a safe standing section at Blackpool. I mean, I think that would be absolutely fantastic. Yeah, it'd be great, wouldn't it, if we could do that? Um, I do remember when the safe standing mojo came to town, um, the first thing... Carl said about that when we were asking about it. He said it'll never happen under my watch or words to that effect. Yeah. Well it might not happen under his watch, but it might happen under somebody else's, <laughs> might yeah. it? But sorry, sorry I'm on the lo- I think the live stream just gone off, so some just um hit YouTube. Why has it just gone off? Right, you carry on and I'll I'll yeah, so um, so uh, I mean, I think the reality is you've got you've got to take its baby steps, isn't it? Yeah, baby steps. But if if in the day that we get the club back, I think it's important that we make it something that's extra special. One one of the one of the things that we've been able to do, a few of us, while we've been in in um, uh, in exile, is actually see the way other clubs run things. And Sam and I have been to FC United mm-hmm. and seen a fantastic. Like little fan zone they have under the main stand, with the music going and and uh, great great atmosphere, and then we've been into Germany and see what they do, um, and um, th- th- there's, there's there's lessons to be learned because I think it's important that that w- that when we do when we do get the club back, which I'm I'm convinced that this you know, this evening that we will, that that we do create something that's a little unique. I think Portsmouth sort of did the same thing, didn't they, when they got the club back. I know they've sold out now. I think, for, but for very good reasons. Uh, but whether whether the, whether the fans own the club or whether there's another owner owns the, owns the club, um, you know, we are Blackpool FC, and we we've got that ability to make it something ec- extra extra special. And I think this last four years has galvanised so much goodwill and so much support, and so many people who will be willing and able to actually help the recovery process that we can actually do it rather than talk about doing it. Because um, once we get our club back, a lot of us gonna have a hell of a lot of free time on our hands as against what we had before. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. And I, well, I, what, what me and John were talking about earlier in the week was, you know, hopefully change will happen soon. This was before the club had gone up for sale because we were saying, you know, like John's got his little lad wants to go to games. You're in danger of losing a generation, your, your next generation of fans because they wouldn't grow up going to watch Blackpool FC. And as much as the parents would still be fans, if they're not going, they're gonna end up in a you know, wanting to support Man United, Liverpool, whoever, um, and not being able to see the local team. So hopefully this can happen sooner rather than later. You're not going to, you know, you can get that, that next generation of fans back before it's too late. Yeah, I think it was, sorry to put, interesting, I think uh, Christy and, uh, and Andy Higgins were on Falco's radio early this evening and they said that it's important that we as a trust 
do something special to get those people back, the younger generation, because I've, I've missed out recently. I've enjoyed good times and bad times recently, but it's important, I think, the trust having involvement in the club when it comes back um, because of the initiatives that they have and what they've done over recent years. But I think, probably you two are probably better asked, but how important would it be when the club was for sale and a new owner coming in at BST have an impact or have shares in the club? Um, we used to, when we used to do the podcast two or three years ago before we had our sabbatical, we, we, I always said uh, the Swansea model was the ideal one for me, which is where the uh, the trust have a seat around the table, um, have some shares. In Swansea's case, it's 20%, but most certainly are having an input in the boardroom. You don't necessarily need to control the boardroom. You just need to have input because if you've got people in there, particularly people who, who are capable of thinking strategically, you've got the ability to say to whoever the owner knew is, whether it's Valeri, whether it's a third party, whatever, you've got to, you can say to them, look, this is what we think. This is what we'd like to do. This is what we think will work well. Uh, and if he comes with an idea saying, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to increase ticket prices, I'm going to create this area, we can say that's a good idea or it's not a good idea. Because we, we've got some unique problems to deal with at Blackpool. Uh, one of them is... And, and I don't know what a new owner will think, but my personal view is that, that ticket prices are far too low. They've been they've been artificially fixed at a level to try and encourage people to go, um, but that's not necessarily a sustainable business model. Um, and um, you know, I think that the input as to how that as to how that transition might need to take place will be quite important. As I've said, um, I'd also like to I'd, I'd like to see. Um, uh, uh, a lot of fan engagement at the stadium. Sam and I went to uh, at Matt Williams's invite actually uh, to Burnley the night. It was a bit of a dreadful game, but yeah, we went there. But what was what was interesting? We walked around when we walked. Yeah, another one. Um, when we walked when we walked around the ground was that they had a bit of a fan zone there, only a bit of one. But mm. it but it, it was interesting because it was full, wasn't it? It was full of people. Quite a few people having a beer. They had a massive screen up. Showing. All ages, wasn't there? The kids yeah. football shooting goals, as pubs, as tents up and everything, music screens. I think we're going to Germany in the next few weeks, and that'll be interesting to see. Dad's been already, but to see how those fans are engaged before the match, two or three hours before, and also afterwards. And I know there has been some people on Aviv Matara who have said that wouldn't be something I'd be interested in. But I think if you've not seen yeah, I think it's something. It will be for, for a, a number of people who otherwise wouldn't be around spending the money. So you, what, going back to what you were saying before about having fans on the board, you know, for me it's important because you've got a filter there, haven't you? Mm. To be, you know, they might have an idea that they think's brilliant. But you can say as a fan, actually, that's probably not going to land very well. Mm -hmm. How about doing it this way? Yeah. And you've got that filter before it comes out that hopefully by the time it does, it, it's going to work. So, And they must be elected. I mean, all this nonsense we've had with the FPG and with Tarpy and, and the others um, about this, this supposedly fan representation, it's been, you know, cards and tables, utter, utter nonsense. Whoever's on that board, and it is, I remember I did when I did the Jeff Stelling walk over the summer from Blackburn to Blackpool. Um, I was walking with the Oldham fan, who's the, who's the fan representative, and it's a it's a very onerous job. I mean, he gives up two days a week um, to do that job. I think it ideally may well suit somebody who's who's retired or who's got a lot of time on on the hands. And ideally, I'd like to see I'd like to see it being two rather than one. Um, but it's very, very important that they're elected. 
and it's very, very important that they're on a relatively limited term. I think it should be two years max. Um, in interestingly, I think Swansea, when, when they, they used to have the rotation uh, uh, two years, but what the board actually did was when people were, had to go off out of, out of um, to comply with the constitution, um, the Swansea board co-opted them on and kept them because they valued their input so much they didn't want to lose it. Um, and, and, that, and that's great, you know. I mean, Swansea, Swansea had a unique opportunity because they were in an insolvency situation and they were able to pull uh, the investors together and they managed to, they had a lot of money uh, that they'd raised to try and save it themselves and they put that in, as did Oldham. Mm. Um, now, whether that's something we can do at Blackpool and actually get shares around the table, I don't know. But whether we've got shares or not, there's no reason why a new owner wouldn't want to galvanise all the goodwill and make sure that fans are... We, we've got to make sure... We've been campaigning for so long for football first and for fan representation that, that it would be very, very disappointing indeed if we don't end up with if a minimum of one and I would say two people sat around that table. Yeah, well, it's a, mass, like you said, it's a massive opportunity, isn't it? And that, that's the time to do it. And it sends such a, a message out to some of the fans who you know, may have... You know, not not gone regular regularly in the past, or might be thinking, oh, you know, I've got into other things that, you know, they are serious about it, and they are going to take take the fans' views on board. Mm. Um, you, 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 the difficulty we've always got is that we, until we know who's actually interested in purchasing mm. it, and you know, we, we don't want to go in from well, and and the problem is that if, if the oysters are selling, they may not care who they sell to, but we don't want to go, uh, you know, out of the frying pan into the fire. Um, but I think I, I'd be very, very surprised if any owner who comes in isn't interested in in negotiating that um, because there's a massive, massive job to do. We've, they've got a whole new club to construct. Um, you know, there's no commercial section to speak of. Um, there's, there's, you know, I think the one, the, probably the one strong bit is the community trust, um, but but that that perhaps would need to be you know, better integrated. There's a training ground to sort. There's, there's, uh, you know, there's that, that lost generation, maybe not a generation, but half a generation of fans who, who need to be coaxed back. And, and why wouldn't you want to embrace an organisation? I'm talking about BST here because I think they're, they're obviously the ones to take the lead. Why wouldn't you want to embrace an organisation that's been so dedicated to the fight and but at the same time doing all this other stuff as well, which they do, um, that you can actually harness the positive energy that they can create, and and you will be the benefactor of that without actually having to put your hand in your pocket. I yeah, mean, it's absolutely. a no-brainer. Could it potentially put someone off coming in and having to spend that money to get the commercial side in the training ground? If that's happening, could that maybe put some owners coming into Blackpool Football Club? I think the training ground might, because because the, there's nothing there at the moment. But the, but equally, you can rent somewhere in the short term. That's what you know. The, I think most of the time, Blackpool up at Mysco, aren't they? Um, and there's no reason in the short term why that couldn't continue. There's no reason why somebody couldn't approach Andy Pilly and say, "Will you rent us part of um, uh, of Poolfoot Farm?" I know, I know it might stick in the in in the claw with some, but equally, they are the best facilities on the Fylde coast. We've previously trained at Fylde Rugby. There's no reason why why that couldn't be looked at again. So there's all sorts of opportunities there. I think on the commercial side, I think I think whoever comes in as the next commercial manager come that day. Will have the easiest job on the final coast because I think he'll be fighting off people waiting well, yeah. 
to support the new regime. And, and it will be a no. You want the right person doing it, and you want that person to maximise what can be happen. But you know, as, as Scott was saying on the Foul Coast stuff with Christine and Andy, you know, it, it shocks him when he goes into Blackpool how few advertising boards around the ground. If you go to Fleetwood or if you go to anywhere, um, the place is rocking with them, and you th- and it makes it's only when you when you take a step back and go somewhere else that you realise how much sponsorship is going on every, everywhere. There's the appetite for it, but thankfully these businesses haven't been prepared to support the current regime, and that and 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 we thank them for that, but we want them back as soon as we can. Well, we've both been upstairs, haven't we, over the years? And you think what it was like at Blackpool when you know things were going well. There was the, you know, the corporate side of it was packed, and and obviously that's died almost completely over the last few years. So again, you've got a massive opportunity there to get businesses back, people paying good money, and again get your revenue streams up. I mean, you think what we were talking about what we thought the crowd would be for that that first home game when we've got new owners, and you think what we had when we were in the championship. I know we're not in the championship now, but you know you'd like to think it'd be it'd be over ten thousand. And that we could maintain that, even in League One, with showing some ambition and, in, and intent, because that's what you want to see as a fan. That the owners, you know, want the club to be as, as successful as it can be. I think you'd get, you know, you'd get thousands. We said five. Back. Fig- we said a five-figure crowd, didn't we? Like for the, for the, for the first game. When the, when I think. I think so. And also, I mean, the, 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 this, the other thing is a little bit um, of um, a mixed thing for some people is what you do with away fans because. Certain clubs like Wigan and Blackburn, uh, and to name a couple, um, sustain their revenues by having a very, very large away section. Mm. And Blackpool is a rather unique town. Um, we've got the ability to house a lot of away fans, should we choose to do so. Um, and particularly if that East is uh, opened and or adapted again in some way. Uh, and so I've got my idea as to how it should be done, but others will, ha- others will have different ideas. Um, and you know we've got a 17, sixteen seventeen thousand capacity. You know if we if we can get ten thousand fans, but have four thousand away fans in, um, it's every other week if you're playing in the championship, isn't it? Because yeah. Blackpool away is the first picture they look for. All these Yorkshire clubs and yeah. and and then all of a sudden, all, all of a sudden, and, and and particularly if you're trying to rebuild something, I don't think you can afford to say, well, we're only going to let fifteen hundred away fans in. I think I think now the the the, the, the <coughs> The flip side of that is: Are you giving are you giving too much of an incentive to the away fans to try and get results at, at home? And and I think there's a balance to be struck. Um, but it it doesn't it hasn't traditionally done Wigan or Blackburn too much harm that they've been able to almost throw the doors open and say as many of you as many of as you want can come. I mean, we've been the beneficiaries of that when we've gone to Blackburn in the past. Uh, and you see when they play when they're in the Premiership when they had a Liverpool, Everton, or wherever, or Man City, Man United, they'd have seven thousand away fans there, and uh, and uh, and Wigan. And, you know we've we've seen the same at Wigan. So I, I think I think there's you know we've, there's been so much damage done over the last four years, particularly to the local economy and 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 to the that particular area around in FY4, that anything that we can do to encourage people to attend Bloomfield Road. Uh, and I think we, there's so much goodwill for us with other fans. I don't think it would it would be a massive issue. Um, we've seen that, you know. I think you know that Portsmouth coming tomorrow. They're coming to join the remembrance service, and you know we, we we've we've engendered a huge amount of goodwill over the last four years from from what we've done on a national level. And I think we can embrace that. And um, you know, Sam's been down to Portsmouth and seen the way they welcome away fans. And uh, uh, I I think Blackpool could Brighton do it, don't they? Brighton. 
actively encourage Wave fans to come and put the local beers on and create the ambience by putting their colours in the away end. We can do all that and make Blackpool a fantastic away experience where the first thing people look at and the away fixture is, which I, to a certain degree I think they do already, is when are we playing Blackpool? Mm. Yep. That's that's what I could never get my head around um, with with the pre- well, previous owners, with the Oysters. The fact that it's such a unique opportunity, Blackpool, having Blackpool as your club because it's the it's the first first fixture that a lot a lot of away fans look for because it's a huge day out and it's a huge money spinner for them. So it just doesn't doesn't make sense to me a lot of this. No, are you you would you would you 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 want to embrace that? You should, yeah. The football club should be offering away packages that involve a hotel yeah. and tickets yeah. and and making money off that. There's all sorts of all sorts of opportunities. If only um, we were rich, we could put a bid in, couldn't we? <laughs> <laughs> we might be able to. A, you know, there's a, there's a fire sale on. I've got, I've got about five quid in my pocket. What do you reckon? <laughs> Cheeky or, one. Or, <coughs> or is this all just a ruse, do you think? Do you think they've got some dastardly plan or has it just gone too far now? For that I mean, I we, we did say, Nick, didn't we, that they'll have something up the sleeves. And it, is well, this it's it? just, it's it's your first thought, isn't it? Yeah. It's, because, it's because of what's gone on previously. Yeah. Um, I mean, hopefully it isn't the case and it is just like you were talking about before, Tim, with the timescales and some of those interest amounts. It, it makes me think maybe, you know, it is mm. it is genuine and it, it needs to happen and they're doing it because they've no alternative. But we'll we'll find yeah. out over the so over the coming did, weeks. How can we put an estimated figure on the on the club, the whole, the whole I, asset base? I, I think it's very. I think it's very. Fifteen million. If you if you ignore all the periphery, if you just stick to Bison's BFC, yeah, no <laughs> players, and the, don't forget Tom Tom Finney's bust. <laughs> that's there's, in the, there's an angle grinded statue of Stan Mortensen. Yeah, so we can. Um, it, I think if we just look at the football ground and we look at the football team there's always an intrinsic value to a football team there's always a goodwill element and whoever comes in will know that they'll be able to tap into that uh, my gut reaction is and bear in mind Valeri's got a mortgage on the south stand anyway that's not that's separate to this judgment um i would say in the region of 20 million quid right. that would be my guess but this there's um uh Actually, the Vlada loans are in. He's got 7.2 million charged on the South Stand, but some of those are the, the what they call the Vlada loans, which is part of that four and a half million. So if you net that off, he's got four and a half million still in the South Stand. So I would say net it's 15. Um, and I think they'll struggle to get more than that mm. because the people know they have to get rid of it. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? It's, uh, it's a buyer's market. Right, well, so we've done an hour. Um, so let's just start wrapping things up now. Yeah, the live stream's gone off. Can't get it back working. So, hey ho. Um, right, let's just very briefly just touch on what's going on on the pitch. Um, firstly, is this going to affect the team? I don't think it will. But that aside, how do we want this season panning out? I mean, now this news has come out, it's well, it's important that we we stay as high as we can in the league. Well, I think we definitely always, not go down. We always said if there was light at the end of the tunnel. Um, you, you'd want them to be doing it as, as well as they could, um, you know, for any prospective new owner. So if that is, if it is genuine, and we are going to get a new owner, then you know, if we can be at the top of the table or, or round about the playoff positions come the end of the season, then you know, it would be great to be in the championship. Whether we will, I don't know. I think we'll have to see what happens in January as well. You know, there, there could be a fire sale on the pitch. 
Um, I mean, I've not seen anything to to know whether there's there's much of any value in the squad. Um, you know, the, the flip is we, we could end up with having to play the youth team, you know, because there the, the could be, a, like I say, a fire sale on the pitch as well. So to um, Leighton Orient at the back end of last season. Yeah, so hopefully change can happen sooner rather than later. Well, it depends on them doing the right thing by the club, really, doesn't it? Well, I think you've got to assume that they won't. Well, yeah. Because anything, anything, anything better than that is is a bonus. I'm, I'm quite sanguine, to be honest. Actually, somebody said something to me this week, and actually, I think it resonated with me a bit. Um, I, I was always of the view that um, I'd rather any new owners started off at a relatively low starting point because you could then gather some momentum and build up and and, and build on it. Yeah. Um, however being in the first division at the moment gives us that breathing space. I don't think there's any realistic risk of us going down this season. So even if the the club find themselves in a in a Leighton Orient situation or Pompey as they were when going back a few years, um that won't kick until next year, by which time hopefully the club has been sold. And that gives us that little bit of breathing space. Because the one thing you don't want to do in this scenario is end up having the risk of going non league like Orient have done. Uh, and that, and that, Brit, that the fact we got promoted last year, I think, gives us that breathing space. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> but I I still am of the view that what goes on the pitch, to a certain degree, is irrelevant until the sale goes through. Mm. And the more and all we can do as fans, you know, I don't, nobody should go be going back in until the ink has dried Absolutely. on the contract that sells the football club, because because until then it could be a ruse to get people back in. Um, and it could relieve pressure on them. And the last thing we want to do, when you know you talk, you talked about having somebody in a corner. The last thing you want to do is let them get up and have another go. Um, you know they're down and they need to stay down. And um, the only way Blackpool's going to move forward is the day that that the, that signature hits the contract and the club is sold. So not not up anymore. Still stands firm, and it's, as Tim 100%. just said, it's a more 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 important than ever. Yeah, yeah, to keep it going. Um, Right, just to close things off, there's a BST meeting tomorrow, which was called, um, I suppose, on the back of, it's an EGM, on the back of the court case result, but I'm sure even BST in the wildest dreams didn't expect this uh, topic to be discussed tomorrow. It's, it's, it's a we double may, We maybe needed the Hilton, I think. I, know, I was just about to say, it's not that big either, is it? So, uh, 12.30 tomorrow at Excelsior, I think we'll, safe to say we'll all be there. I'm going, to, I'm going to be suited and booted because I'm um, involved in the remembrance service afterwards. So uh, you'll see me all uh, uh, all suited up. Well, what are you doing, Tim? Now you're going in corporate, really, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm doing the. Uh, I've got to do the remembrance statement. You know the oh, uh, right. the going down of the uh, and all that business. You know, going down of the sun, and I've got to learn it yet. Right. Um yeah, so that, that ends the podcast. I think we've done over now, so that's enough. Um, live stream went off again like, with 20 minutes to go, but I'm sure it's the first time we'll, we'll iron these problems out. Anyway. Hopefully, we'll be doing a few more podcasts because we'll, yeah. be, uh, we'll have last match review to do. <laughs> funny, yeah, funny things like that and talking about the players and, squad and football news. Phoenix eh? from the Flames. Yeah, eh? <laughs> don't just stop paying attention again. <laughs> right, so... Um, yeah, all remains to be said is thanks for listening, thanks for downloading, and um, I don't know when will we, when will we speak speak again. 
the next big news, I suppose, when those contracts are signed. Uh, yeah, it's, um, we can't live it too long. We, we need to get this going regularly again, I think. Yeah, well, the gear's all set up anyway, so thanks, Donald, and thanks for listening, and up the pool. Up the pool. Oh, the pool. Out. Out. Oh, that clips then. What's that? So what, we missed the last 20... Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.